Psalm 130. I think I said last two weeks ago, uh, I said that we were going to be done talking about praying the scriptures, but uh, we are not done yet. Continue talking about that this morning. Psalm 130. And again, as, as, we, as you turn there in your Bibles, just a reminder, as Dick told you, that uh, next week we're going to be starting service again in person at 9 o'clock, and there will be a time change for the second service, 10.45, so 9 o'clock and 10.45. Uh, we are asking that you wear masks because, uh, again, as we worship together, the Bible also says that we should do everything that we can to honor uh, the government officials and all that they are trying to do. So that is why we're asking you to wear masks if you are 10 or older and you do not have a medical condition that prevents you from doing so. We ask you to do that so that we can, as we worship, uh, participate with what the government is trying to do to uh, slow the spread of the virus. Uh, this morning, though, as we look into Psalm 130, we are uh, looking again at praying the scriptures and just, again, a reminder of what we're talking about. When we talk about praying the scriptures, number one, remembering that uh, the Word of God says that uh, in the Old Covenant, God talked about how his house will be a house of prayer. And then Christ referenced that same thing again uh, under the New Covenant. When we went into the temple, remember that they were exchanging money and all of those kind of things for uh Sacrifices. Did my microphone stop working, Brian? <laughs> yeah, I think it did. Can you go with the pulpit for a sec? Yeah, let's do that. Could you could you grab me the the blue wireless mic? I think I think I took the batteries out of that. Sorry, just bear with us for one second here. Not sure what's happening. Uh, so as I was saying, remember that uh, when Christ went into the temple and. They were exchanging money and, and uh, dealing with sacrifices in that moment. Uh, the people were essentially robbing other people in that moment because people had to come to that place, uh, you know, to worship. And some people were coming from distant lands. So in that moment, the people knew who were exchanging money and the animals that they could uh, take them for everything that they could get from them in that moment. So that's what they were doing. But in that moment, remember, Christ came... And as he pushed them out of the temple, he proclaimed to them that his house then would be a house of prayer. So the point is that God discussed that in the Old Testament. He proclaimed that in the old, under the Old Covenant. Uh, that's, that's okay, Brian. We'll just go with this, with this pulpit mic. That's fine. Okay. Uh, so God proclaimed that under the Old Covenant, that his house would be a house of prayer, and then again Christ affirmed that in the New Covenant. So the point is that his people would be distinguished as a people of prayer. Now that's one of the things that we don't have to wonder about. Uh, as the church, when we consider our mission and our goal and what our purpose is, uh, God clearly outlined that one of the distinctives of his church would be uh, that they would be a people of prayer. Now we can be sure then, if we are not doing that, then we are absolutely failing to live up to the responsibility that God has called us to as his church. Now, what we're talking about here in praying the scriptures, again, reminding us that as we do this, we are immediately in that moment aligning ourselves with God's heart and his purposes because we don't, again, this is 
We don't have to wonder about the purpose of the church because Christ said his house would be a house of prayer. We don't have to wonder about that. We don't have to wonder then about what God's desire is for his people because he lays that out in his word in some of the prayers that we see in his word. And when we pray those things, again, moving beyond just simply praying for safety or health or those kind of things, uh, when we pray the depth of the things that we see prayed in Scripture, we are immediately then aligning ourselves with God's heart for me and for my family, for my community, and for my church. So Psalm 130 today, we are starting in verse 1. It says, Out of the depths I cry to you, uh, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, O Lord, kept the record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? Well, with you there is forgiveness, therefore you are feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits. And in his word I put my hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all of their sins. So what we are seeing here in Psalm 130 is... Uh, the, the human soul laid bare before God, somebody realizing their position before God. We see somebody acknowledging the devastation of sin in their hearts, and then a cry for God's mercy, and then a relieved soul watching for and waiting for God. So the, one of the other things that I want us to recognize in this, because we talk about these things over and over in the church, especially, well, I, I would hope in a lot of places that we talk over and over about sin and the human condition in light of who God is in then our need for God as humans. But there is a, a biblical precedent for reminding ourselves of those things over and over. Now this song, uh, this psalm, there should be a title before you start reading it. In verse 1 it says, A Song of Ascent. Now what that is, is these were songs where as they were walking towards uh, the temple to worship, as they were traveling there, they would be singing these songs back and forth to each other. So these were songs that they had dedicated for those purposes. Now every time they went to worship them, this was something that was set before their eyes, recalling what God had done, recalling the devastation of sin in the human heart, recalling them their, that moment where they cried for the mercy of God, and then the relief that came as they would begin to watch for and wait on God. The first thing that I want to look at here, though, is, uh, as I said, when we pray these things that we see in Scripture, it reveals the heart of God to us and what our heart's desire then should be. So the first thing that we see here is that God's heart is to expose and humble the sinful heart of man. God's heart desire among us and in us is to expose and humble the sinful heart of man, the human condition or sin nature, in light of the perfect holiness of God. So the first thing, the starting point then, is for us to recognize the holiness of God. First John 1 John 1.5 says this, This is the message we have heard from him and declared to you. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Habakkuk 1.13 says, Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. And then Revelation 4, 8 we see, uh, and the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within, and day and night they do not cease to say, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was 
and who is and is to come. A.W. Tozer said this about God's holiness. He says, God's holiness is not simply the best we know, infinitely better. We know nothing of the divine holiness. It stands apart, unique, unapproachable, incomprehensible, and unattainable. The natural man, he may fear God's power and admire his wisdom, but his holiness he cannot even imagine. So we recognize immediately then, from what the Word of God says, that the angels are constantly crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. He is so different from us in his purity, in his being, in his power. Everything that he is is so drastically different from us that we can't even begin to comprehend who he is. First uh, Samuel chapter 2, starting in verse 2, it says this, there is, not, there is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one beside you. There is no rock like our God. Do not keep talking so proudly or let your mouth be speaks such arrogance, for the Lord is a God who knows, and by him deeds are weighed. So the natural man is blind in himself to the fact that there is no one like God, because we in ourselves can't comprehend the fullness of his holiness. And some of the older saints used to refer to it as his otherness, that there is no other way to describe his holiness and his being other than he is other than us. He is fully other than us in every way. So they would talk about the otherness of God. But the natural man in himself is blind to the holiness of God. Number one, because until the Spirit of God reveals the light of God to the human heart, natural man will reduce God from his place in heaven to something as manageable. We've talked about this before, about how A.W. Tozer said that left to himself, man will immediately reduce God to manageable terms. That means that if we are not walking the Spirit of God under the Word of God, in allowing God to instill his knowledge within us, if we suppress his revelation of himself, if we are avoiding what he is revealing about himself, in that moment I will take him from his transcendent place of purity, of justice, of righteousness, everything that is. I will take him from that and form him into something that I can manage. We see God is not a being that is manageable by us as humans. You see, some see God's revelation of himself and they embrace it. Others re reject and suppress the revelation of God among men. We see this in Romans 1. It talks about how uh, uh, man was suppressing the truth of God by his wickedness, actively suppressing the truth of God by his wickedness, and then it talks about how he become vain and futile in his speculations. The point of this is that our ability to see God comes from God himself. I don't have the capacity to do that in myself. I don't have the capacity in myself to understand who God fully is, the depth of his holiness. I don't have the capacity to understand that, but God in his mercy has looked on you and I, the depths of our depravity, understanding that we had no capacity to see him, and he has looked on us with pity and chosen then to reveal to us the nature of who he is, to whatever degree we're able to understand at that moment. Now, again, some choose to actively suppress that revelation. Some see that and embrace it. 
But as we see, as what we see here in this psalm is the one who recognizes the depths of where they are. He says, out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness. The first thing is he recognized himself. He says, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Hear my voice. Let your ear be attentive to my cry for mercy. He is crying for the mercy of God because to some extent he has recognized the revelation of God that has been given to him and he is embracing that. Now, the moment that we embrace that, well, that will immediately reveal the depths that we find ourselves in, the depths of sin that we find ourselves in. Uh, Psalm 130 defines what the depths are for us. He says, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. What are the depths then? In verse 3, he says, If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, sin is the depths that he is talking about. Out of the depths, he is recognized because God has revealed himself to him in that moment. And embracing that revelation of God immediately shines a light on his heart that helps him to recognize that all of the sins that he was, was walking in was nothing but a pit of sin and depth. He was walking in the depths of death. That is where he was. But the revelation of God and embracing that will shine a light revealing the depths of sin that we are walking around in. So the point is that when I see God, I see myself. And I begin to see the mess that I am walking in. When I see his perfection, his holiness, his purity, his otherness, immediately this will open our eyes to see the depths of depravity at the foundation of my being. The utter hopelessness of the human condition. We have talked before many times about I think today, especially I know for a fact in the secular world and sometimes I think even in the church, that so many think that the human heart in itself is generally good. You cannot find that in the Bible. You will never find that outlined in the Bible. The Bible talks about the human heart in itself is utterly destitute and wicked. Uh, Jeremiah 17, I believe it's verse 9, says that the faithful above all things, who can understand? You see, when I finally see a vision of who God is, then I'm able to accept that. Then I'm able to accept that I have no help in my, hope in myself, that I have no merit of God's presence in myself. When I see God as other than me, I recognize that his purity can't even begin to look on my sin. And in that, then I recognize that I am in this pit of death and I have no way out. The same as we see in Isaiah, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on the throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. And this is His response then to the holiness, the otherness of God. In verse 5, He says, Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the Lord Almighty. You see, in that moment, he saw God as other than himself, high and lifted up above himself, and immediately his reaction is 
I am ruined. I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. The Bible describes sin in this way. Isaiah chapter 1, 6, it talks about it being putrefying sores. Psalm 38, it says it's a heavy burden. Titus 1.15 and 2 Corinthians chapter 7 calls sin a defiling filth. Matthew chapter 6 says it is a binding debt. 1 John 1.6, it is darkness. You see, when I read, when I see God for who He is, when I see Him as other than myself, I recognize sin then in that way. I recognize that all of the things that I have walked in are nothing but putrefying swords, a heavy burden, defiling filth, a binding debt, and a darkness. And I recognize that I have no way out of that. I have no way out of that in myself. I could never work hard enough to overcome that. I could never be good enough to overcome that. I am bound to that. Death has a claim on me as a result of all of those things. You see then, God in his compassion and pity hears the cries of his people, their helpless cries as they recognize their destitution. Luke 18, starting verse 9, says, To some who are confident in their own righteousness and look down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like the other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all that I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And then this is Christ's response to that man who, by the world's definition, the worst of sinners, and he wouldn't even look on uh, up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. This is Christ's response to that man. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Why? Because God looks with compassion and pity on the heart of the man who says, I have been the most vile of sinners. I have done the most terrible things that you can imagine. But I recognize the devastation that sin has caused in my heart. I recognize the depths of death that I am currently walking in, and that I have no way to get out aside from you. I recognize that you are wholly other than me, that your righteousness is beyond what I can even imagine, and I lay myself before you as a spiritual beggar because that's all that I have. You see, God looks with pity and compassion on that person who recognizes that they have spent their life pursuing things and doing things in a way that has led to nothing but sin and death. See, there are people that will that have spent their lives doing things their own way. And it has done nothing but cause themselves misery and the people around them misery. Some will continue in that. Some people are that arrogant that they will continue on 
blind to the fact that they are destroying people around them, or they just don't care that they're destroying people around them. Some people will die after living a life that way, and they will find themselves separated from God for eternity. But there are some who see the revelation of God in his otherness. They bow themselves before him because they recognize that all of the things that I have pursued, all of the things that I have done, have been meaningless. And in that, then, they lay themselves before a God of compassion and pity who looks on them and he raises them up. It says in verse 4, But with you there is forgiveness, therefore you are feared. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, who could stand both you? There is forgiveness, therefore you are feared. You see, all of the things that we have done in life, all of the things that we have pursued in life, those who would bow before him as a spiritual beggar, petitioning him for his compassion and pity, he would be pleased to offer that to any person that would desire that, to the person who recognizes his holiness and says that I will submit myself to you, I will find myself under you, because, I mean, the the reason that people live for sinful things is because they elevate themselves beyond God. They believe that they are capable of ordering their life. They believe that they are capable of ordering their circumstances. They are capable of figuring out how to uh, uh, live a life of, of whatever they're pursuing, happiness or joy or whatever it is. They think, they think that they can figure out how to live that on their own. But some people that recognize, I can't, I don't have the capacity to do that in myself. And they submit themselves before the God of holiness. You see, God's desire, first thing that we see is God's desire is to expose and humble the sinful heart of man. The next thing that we see is God's heart is to offer assurance to those who seek his mercy. Again, verse 3, it says, If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand with you, there is forgiveness, therefore you are feared. You see, if God were to withhold his mercy and we were to bear the full weight of our sin and the just payment for our sin, who could stand? That's what he's saying there. If if you were to lay on me the fullness deserved for the things that I have done, who could stand? Who could stand in your presence bearing the weight of what they have done? Bearing the weight of their rebellion against you? Bearing the weight of all of the things that the sacred things of God that they had made profane, who could stand under the weight of that? You see, the Bible talks about God is a God of love, but he is also, the Bible says, a God of wrath because of his justice. He is a God of wrath who has to punish things in a just way. Romans 2, starting verse 5, says, Because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. And then verse 8, For those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. John 3, 36, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life for God's wrath remains on them. 
Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him, because God's wrath is directed towards sin. I have no way to pay for sin in myself. I have no way to overcome that in myself. I don't have a way to work hard enough that my good deeds would outweigh the bad, because the Bible says that if you're going to live by the law, if you break one part of the law, you you're breaking all of the law. You see, the moment that I choose to rebel against God in any way, I've broken all of the law. In that, then the wrath of God in His justice is directed towards sin. You see, He says, whoever believes in the Son, though, has eternal life. It is those who reject the Son will not see life, because God's wrath remains on their sin, because Christ sacrifice for me is the only way to pay for my sin. The only way for me to become pure and righteous in the eyes of God, that is the only way. So it makes sense then, those who reject him bear the weight of their sin and the wrath of God against their sin. But those who come to Christ, those who recognize his sacrifice and his mercy and compassion for them, then have eternal life because he, before God, has the merit to pay the penalty of sin. I don't. He does. God's heart is to offer assurance to those who seek His mercy. You see, what we see here in Psalm 130 is a man recognizing the fullness of God's goodness directed towards him in mercy, relieving from him the weight of God's wrath. We're talking about wrath and sin and the devastation of all these the sinful things that we do in life, but recognizing that the goodness of God in spite of all of those things. Now, the point is that God had no reason, really, to offer us a means of escape from the penalty of our sin, but it is the goodness of God and His mercy and compassion that has looked on my heart that was incapable in itself of any salvation. He has looked on that then and provided His Son as a way to purify me from all of the evil that I have done and the weight of sin that is deserving of God's wrath. Again, it says in verse 3, If you, O Lord, kept the record of sins, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, therefore you are feared. Psalm 130 says, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities for his highest the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. So when we talk about praying the scriptures, we should be people who pray that we would be overwhelmed daily at the thought of the divine pity and compassion of God that has satisfied his wrath for us in Christ. When we approach him in prayer, we should always have a sense of awe at the goodness of God in his treatment for us. Now, why did they over and over sing these songs, this again being the song of ascent that they would sing on the way to worship? Why did they sing this over and over? Because the moment that you and I lose sight of the fact that I have nothing in myself, and that it is by the compassion and pity of God alone that I am able to stand in his presence, the moment that we lose sight of that, we miss everything. We lose sight of everything that we have as believers in Christ. We lose sight of everything that we have 
within our reach as God's people. This is foundational to everything. If you take this out or you misinterpret it or you don't fully understand this, you have nothing else. Go beyond this in the Christian faith. Everything hinges on this. You see, Romans 12.1 calls us to present ourselves to God as a living sacrifice, only in pleasing to Him. It's, this is your spiritual act of worship. Some versions say, because of His mercy, in light of His mercy, you offer yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing. This is your spiritual act of worship. You see, what we're called to is to offer ourselves to him as a living sacrifice, meaning everything that I say and do, every decision that I make, every interaction I have with other people, the way that I spend my money, the way that I spend my time is to be offered to him as a living sacrifice. This is your spiritual act of worship. But what motivates that is in light of the mercy of God, you offer yourselves to him in this way. That tells us, in order to be a living sacrifice, in order for me to recognize that the money that I have is not my own, it is His. The time that I have is not my own, it is His. The gifts that I have in myself are not for myself, they are for Him. In order for me to understand that, I have to understand the mercy of God. I can never understand the mercy of God if I don't understand that I was fully deserving of His wrath because of my sin. Everything hinges on self-awareness, is what it comes down to. You see, a lot of times we have a way of not wanting to analyze ourselves as Christians. We can go our whole lives ignoring the things that are stored up within us. Just for instance, I remember growing up, uh, situations, I can remember certain things in particular, where people would have the same exact issues everywhere they were. Everywhere they went, whether they went to one job and things didn't work out well, then they went to another job and things didn't work out. They went to another job and things... It was always somebody else's fault. Same problems everywhere they went, and they never stopped and thought, hey, maybe there's something that I'm doing wrong here. You see, we as humans want to ignore the things that are contained within our hearts. But the Bible calls us to just the opposite. Number one, we are laid bare before God. Whether we like it or not, He knows everything within us. The difference, though, is the self-awareness we have to acknowledge my need for Him and that I haven't made it yet. I don't have it all together yet. What I'm saying is that sometimes we get to a place in the church and I think we have been doing things for years and years and we just slide into this place of going through the routine of what we have always done. There is no way that I can present myself to God as a living sacrifice then if I am not living in awe of the mercy that he has offered to me. You see, everything that we do, when we come here and we sing songs together, when we come here we hear his word, when we come here to do some sort of acts of service, to fellowship, whatever it is, Everything that I do, I should train myself to do it in light of the mercy that God has offered to me. Because it is a privilege that I am a part of His family. It is a, a privilege that I have been put in the place to serve His church, my brothers and sisters in Christ, to use what I have been given to the service of others. It is a privilege, and only by the mercy of God then, that I am able to come to this place of using what he has given me to serve others for his glory. 
We have to make sure that we have a sense of awe at the goodness of God in his treatment for us. The last thing we see here, here, then, is this human soul that recognizes the mercy of God in his own sin, then we see the relief that comes for the one who recognizes the life that is available for in God and then waits and watches for him on a daily basis, starting in verse 6 in Psalm 130. It says, My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. See now in recognition that I am a spiritual beggar, fully in need of the mercies of God. What else is worth my attention and devotion but to wait and watch for God? What else is deserving of my time and my talents? my gifts and my abilities, all that I have, what is worth anything other than waiting on God and watching for Him in my life? You see, the person who is motivated by mercy, the person who recognizes their destitution, the person who recognizes the goodness of God directed at them, lifting them out of the pits of death, that person who recognizes those things then, They understand that their life now, the best way that they could live their life is by waiting and watching for God. You see, because there are some people who don't have, want anything to do with waiting for God or watching for Him. We get in situations that are difficult. We get in situations where uh, sometimes it can be agonizing. And there is a place that you can live where even in the midst of the trials and difficulties and sufferings in life, I can be going through those dark valleys, valleys, but my heart is standing watch for the light of God, trusting in confidence that at some point He is going to deliver me from whatever I am going through. It may not look the way I want it to look. It might not happen the way I want it to happen. But I stand watch, confident knowing that all the trials that I am suffering right now don't compare to the glory of one moment in the presence of God. So I stand wait through the darkness, watching for the light of God to be revealed over the hills. I think of, uh, you know, as I was reading about this, they were talking about how, you know, in, in the Bible times and back in, in those days, they would have, um, on the walls of some of the cities, they would have people standing watch through the night. And they would be looking out over the, the hills and through the valleys and everywhere around. They would be looking out for the threats that were at hand. And in that moment, they were talking about how difficult that would have been. And sometimes the freezing temperatures or, you know, in the midst of rain or whatever, the, the weather elements or how tired you were. No matter what you were going through, they were always waiting for the light to come. They were enduring all of these things around them, the difficulties, standing watch over the city. But they were looking for the light of dawn. That is exactly what we are called to. We see this in the psalmist. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. See, we have to be people that wait on his provision for life. 
You need to wait and watch for his nourishment, for his power in our life. Wait and watch for his vision, his direction, his teaching, his graces, his blessings. See, the psalmist had recognized the blinding darkness within his soul and was painfully aware that within himself there was no hope of relief from the weight of sin, but the pure light of God brings relief as it reveals to the destitute human heart that there is hope in the mercy of God. Second Peter 1, 19 says, We also have this prophetic message as something completely reliable that you will do well to pay attention to. As to a light shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. As the worship team comes and we close this morning. What we see here at the heart of this passage is the recognition of the human condition in light of God's character and being. That this is fundamental to everything that you and I do. It is not possible to live the Christian life. It is not possible to walk in an intimate relationship with God if we don't recognize the depths that we were walking in, or for some people, the depths that you are currently walking in. This isn't just a reminder for those who have, been, who have been brought out of the depths. This is God's call of compassion and pity for those of you who are walking in those depths right now. There are some people right now that might be watching this. You have done the same things you have always done. It's never brought you anything but misery, hopelessness. See, God's compassion and pity is calling you out of that. The Lord who never keeps a record of sins His compassion and His mercy desires to relieve from you the weight of sin deserving of His wrath. And in his goodness, raise you up, as the word of God says, to be a kingdom of priests, a people of his own possession. The Bible says he has a living hope and an inheritance for you today. Now, in saying that, that does not mean that the second that you receive Christ, that everything is perfect and you will never have an issue of trial, a difficult situation in your life again. Sometimes things are presented that way. That couldn't be the further from the furthest, it was the furthest thing from the truth. Of the word of God. Is that as I walk through the trials of life with the presence of God in my life, that the source of my life now is not from this world. The source of my life is now from God. In that, then, nothing of this world can shake the fullness of life that I experience. If my life, if the source of my life is from here on this earth, anything can shake that. If the source of my life then is from the place where God dwells, if that is where I get the essence of my being now, nothing of this earth can shake that. Even in the midst of trials and difficulties and suffering. God, we thank you today for your compassion and your mercy that has been directed towards us in Christ. Father, help us to be people that would pray your scriptures, recognizing that your heart is for us to cry for mercy on a daily basis. Your heart is for us to recognize your mercy on a daily basis and to be motivated by that. 
that your heart is for us to recognize that you are a God who is fully other than us. Because everything that we do hinges on us having a right conception of who you are. Help us to be people then who would be motivated by the goodness that has been given to us in Christ and wait and watch for you for all things necessary for life and godliness. To wait and watch for you for more and more life. To wait and watch for you for direction and vision and peace and assurance and confidence. Father, I pray for those today who are still walking in the depths of sin. Father, in these moments, I pray that your spirit would descend on their hearts. Reveal yourself to them in a way where they would make some sort of decision. Whether that decision is to choose to suppress what you were revealing or to actively embrace it. Father, we pray that they would embrace it. But Father, I pray simply today that people would be confronted with a choice. Father, you would do within our church, within our community, our families. You would do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. God, we love you today. It is in your name we pray. Amen.